On episode 68 of the Geotrek podcast, we traveled out to California where atmospheric rivers were pounding the state with rain and snow in historic proportions. Three academic heavyweights shared their perspectives as they engaged in high-profile work like measuring the snowpack, forecasting weather impacts, or helping people prepare and respond to this epic winter. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Hal, host of the Geotrek podcast. This week, we go back to California to collect stories on the ground from professionals who use local knowledge to build for extreme conditions or respond to their community in the event of building failures. These two podcasts come out of a 12-day trip when I visited California back in March to learn everything I could about how to plan and build for extreme snow loads. The higher elevations near Lake Tahoe had already received more than 56 feet of snow by the time I arrived, and at least 20 to 25 feet still remained on the ground in places like Serene Lakes. This snow just buried houses and even pulled down utility lines. We're broadcasting this episode in early May, a time of the year when most of us have pivoted from winter to spring, as we follow severe weather and tornado outbreaks and begin engagement in spring hurricane conferences. That said, this episode has a lot of embedded gemstones that relate to all hazards, with a theme that local knowledge goes a long way in helping us plan and prepare for extreme weather and natural disasters. Keep in mind as well that even though high-profile winter weather makes the news from Thanksgiving through Easter, the design and building process for construction and snow country happens year-round. If you're new to the podcast, Geotrek investigates the impact of extreme weather and natural disasters on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you improve your decision-making, risk assessment, and communication related to extreme events, so you can take action to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient. Our first guest is Kim George, Fire Marshal and Battalion Chief for South Lake Tahoe Fire Rescue. I'm with Kim George, Battalion Chief of South Lake Tahoe Fire and Rescue. Kim, thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. Kim, you had um, an unbelievable winter up here. What's it like living through this and then responding to a lot of these incidents with structure collapses, injuries? Um, What's it been like living through this? Honestly, it's been remarkable. It's been amazing just to see this because, I I mean, it's just such an... uh, a sentinel event. We don't see this kind of snow. We don't see um, this this amount. I've never seen it since I've been here, and I moved here in '98. Uh, so it's been really amazing to see, but it's been very difficult. <laughs> what are some of the dangers that the communities faced? I mean, these calls that you're getting. You said the winter calls have been way above normal. What kind of calls are you getting here? We've added a, a, a more significant call volume this year. Um, a lot of it has been building checks. Just just checking the construction to see if there's any uh, signs of integrity issues with the structure. We've had a lot of gas leaks. Um, We've had some fires. We've had explosions from um, gas leaks from gas issues. Um, There's, we've actually had calls with people being injured with snow falling off the roofs or them falling from the roofs as they're trying to clear their snow. Um, It's been amazing. Kim, let's talk with, let's start with these uh, gas leaks. So you had mentioned snow falling off the roof, hitting some of these gas meters. I mean, what's the setup here that causes some of these gas leaks? So as the snow accumulates, a lot of times, you know, obviously it's going to get um, high enough. And I mean, even in regular years, this happens not, it's not entirely uncommon for this to happen. We've had structure fires with this, this type of event, but the snow builds up around the gas meters and it can damage them. Um, as the snow freezes and, and shifts, it, it can contort and damage the, the gas lines or the gas meter itself. 
as it happens, it's just the gas accumulating in, in those areas under in the snow, and it's just waiting for an ignition, ignition source. So you don't even need necessarily a snow slide coming off the roof. Just the snow depth itself reaching the gas meter with it coming icy, things like that, that can cause a leak. Exactly. Yeah, that, and that's, it's not entirely uncommon. I mean, it happens every year, uh, but this year it's happened quite a few times. <laughs> what about, unfortunately, we've had a lot of roof um, integrity issues, some collapses. You'd mentioned red tagging houses. What does that mean when you go out and red tag a structure? So to red tag a building, it means that they're basically um, the building officials are saying that we're not allowed. We're not allowing anybody in the structure because there's potential collapse. Um, so we don't. I mean, it's obviously um, human safety is the, the priority. So we've had to unfortunately do that a number of times, which is fairly uncommon. We don't do that very often, really, at all. Um, it, here and there for different reasons, but it's it's not a common event to have to do that. And we've done it probably about twenty times this winter, actually in the month of March, even. <laughs> Also going out and really uh, deciding that it's too dangerous for people to occupy that building. Exactly. I mean, we've seen enough enough damage, whether it's complete collapse, partial collapse, or just um, obvious signs of integrity issues. It's it's happened frequently. It sounds like some of these collapses have come from commercial structures, right? I would imagine maybe bigger buildings with flatter roofs, something like that. It seems like it is more commercial. We've we've had a few. Um, we've had a mobile home, um, and then there's been a, a few homes in the area that I mean, you can even see from the outside. It's very obvious. There's obvious damage, roof collapse. There's uh, one structure that actually the roof completely collapsed, and you can see daylight. That's amazing. So um, sometimes the roof and the structure is giving some warning signs that something bad is going on. What are some of those warning signs people may see? Um, there's a handful of things that people can watch for. If there's any sort of, first of all, if there's any change in the structure. I mean, if you're seeing new cracks, new um, new damage, even in the interior through the sheetrock, that will indicate some shifting of, of that structure. Um, doors may not close. If it's difficult to close a door, that's an obvious sign um, in the sound. It sounds like people can generally hear creaking and some uh, suspicious sounds. You mentioned one business that actually turned off their music because they thought they could hear the, the, the building making sounds and they wanted to pay attention and be perceptive of that. Right. Uh, we have, uh, there was a, a commercial building just down the street that um, the manager was suspicious. She had found some new cracks, but she wasn't completely convinced that it was um, that much of an issue. She hired, they hired some people to come clear the roof. So while they were doing that, they, they closed the business, but they also continue to work just so just the 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 staff was inside the building Um, they decided to turn off the music so they could just make sure that they hear any sort of sound that might suggest that something was going to be a problem sounds like they were very observant and and you know trying to have perspective and uh, be aware of what was going on there right we were very impressed with just at least the the precaution that they had taken with that um, and prioritizing human life uh, you had mentioned as well some of these, like removing snow from a roof can be a difficult thing. Obviously, some of the massive snow loads on roofs, people have been concerned. They've been wanting to get them off. But that in itself, getting up there and removing snow can be a dangerous thing for people, right? Yeah, it really is. And it's so hard for us to try. I mean, we're not we've been recommending people to hire people, um, hire a contractor, hire people that know what they're doing. Um, it, I mean, we hate to see anybody fall off the roof. I mean, standing on the roof is, is, can be dangerous um, in itself. But then to stand on the roof when it's covered in ice <laughs> is obviously more, more dangerous. So we, we have responded to a handful of calls, a handful of people that have fallen from their roof while they're trying to do the right thing and clear, clear their snow. 
you had mentioned one man that was trying to clear off kind of that that snow coming over the edge of the roof, trying to clear that off, and and it when it broke loose, he got himself in some danger there. Right. We had uh, um, one one gentleman had was just trying to just is the overhang. The overhangs can easily fall and cause damage to the structure or obviously injure a person. Um, so he was just trying to do the right thing, and unfortunately, it fell and trapped him. Um, it trapped. It fell on his legs. They had to use a chainsaw to be able to cut through the ice to get him out. Was he, he was injured pretty severely? Uh, from what I understand, there were some fractures. Yeah. Kim, any last insights or perspectives for our listeners, just if people are going to live in snow country or they already do, what are some things you would advise them as far as living there, maybe choosing a house to buy or even building or designing a house? What are some things they should think about? Uh, there's a handful of things that that people should be aware of. One, with the gas meters, it's be- the best suggestion is just to make a shed. You can build a shed um, around your gas meter just to keep that safe. If you don't, if that were not um, the case, then as you're clearing snow from your gas meter, we actually all the gas companies suggest that you, you gently remove the snow and try and just keep up on it. Um, as that's happening, it, it, it's easy for someone to, if someone were to use a shovel, uh, to cause some damage and, and break that. With, um, another suggestion is heat tape. Uh, heat tape really helps just keep minimize the snow on the roof, um, so you don't necessarily have to remove it as much. A lot of homes this year, it seems like with the snow load was just so great that I don't know how well the heat tape worked. Um, but that is a good a good idea, and just keep up on it. I mean, it's it's not that difficult. If I mean, there's there's equipment, there's uh, roof rakes that have very long extension poles that you can stand on the ground and pretty easily remove snow from your roof. Kim, lastly, um, y'all design for really big snows up here. I mean, there's a code and and a that's quantified, right? But y'all have gone way beyond that this year, right? This year easily has exceeded that in a number of cases, and it's proven by the number of roof collapses that we've seen. Um, but we, it's 150. 150 pounds per square foot is is what is required um, for the the roof to be able to tolerate. And in a lot of cases, it seems like um, Mother Nature has gone beyond that this year. This year, absolutely, it's been amazing to see. Yeah. Well, Kim, I'm hoping that spring eventually does does come here sooner rather than later. Really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me. Thank you, Kim, for sharing your insights. We led this episode with the work that Kim and her team are doing to educate the public and respond to emergency calls to showcase the gravity of building failure on personal safety and the integrity of the build environment. South Lake Tahoe is a small to mid-sized town, so when Kim said that they had red-tagged 20 buildings for a potential building failure, that's a big deal in an area like that. The next interview is with a contractor I ran into in Serene Lakes, a high-elevation community near Lake Tahoe that had an enormous snowpack. Rich Krieger works for the Modern Craftsman Construction, and is intimately aware of what it takes to build for heavy snow loads high in the Sierra Mountains. So I'm here. This is Serene Lakes, right? Um, we're up here not far from, I guess, Donner Pass, Donner Summit. I'm with Rich Krieger. Appreciate you taking a little time to come on the GeoTrek podcast. Yeah, no worries, man. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for coming up and uh, enjoying the snow with us. It's just like 30 feet of snow above the ground level. I mean, this is insane. How do you build for something like this? Uh, well, it's, it, you really have to start with design as far as um, being prepared for your most extreme weather events like this. You know, uh, the, a lot of the houses around here in this area and in the Tahoe area, even the commercial buildings, they're they're, they're not really set up for this much snow load. You know, and the, a lot of the codes that we follow um, each year changes because we're getting getting more extreme weather in that in that sense so we as contractors have to be 
armed with that information as well. But we're also trying to get to the point where we're not dealing with the homes imploding and exploding from snowpacks or burning down from extreme, you know, heat and fire temps, you know, because the way that happens is, you know, the, the fires that happen up here, a fire can travel 100 yards in a matter of seconds. You know. They can go like super quick. And obviously now we have all this snow and all this rain, but we've had years of drought out here. So, so fire and, and everything is a big deal out here. Yeah. And it, what, when, when, cause I live up here, uh, I live actually in Auburn. Um, when I look at snow and all this water, I look at spring and summer, I see vegetation that's going to burn, you know, and essentially that's, that, that's what I look at when I see this much snow up here. I've heard people say when you get a, a, a wet year, that can be good in the sense in the short term, but then it can create a lot of vegetation that can burn down the road. Yeah, I, you know, if you work for Cal Fire, you look like this. You look at this like a paycheck. You know, there's they're going to have a long fire season. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's going to be wet for at least you know until probably June, and then the fire season is going to extend into November. Sure. Reg, um, you mentioned uh, as far as building design, I mean, the roof is one thing to think about as far as pitch, but you mentioned also having a lot of structural support as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to think of, you know, any any building, you got to start from the ground up. So you need to have positive connections that go to where everything is supporting an overhang, right? So from like a, like a pitch like that, that support is essentially transferred over to the sides and then it keeps going down, right? So the, the, the weight still gets distributed to the exterior of the house, but everything that is a beam or a post, it has to have a positive connection going all the way down to the ground. And we were looking at this uh, house over here. I mean, there must be 10 feet of snow on the roof. You're saying like those beams too are, can really support a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. And those beams, I would imagine, they would go all through the length of the house. And that's, that's, a, that's a custom cabin or a cabin, but it's a massive house, you know, but those are, you know, those are custom milled beams that run through the length of the house that, that all have, you know, supports that come that has to transfer the weight evenly to get all the way down to the concrete. And even when you get to the concrete, you have to have your footings that are supported enough in the ground. So that doesn't move. Sure. So the whole thing really needs to work together as a system. And you mentioned, too, there can be danger of force pushing in from the side as well when you get this much snow. Right, right. As far as imploding, as far as the weight from the side, because what will happen is the snow will come off the roof and it'll build up on the side and it'll start pushing on at the lower end of the house. So, so it can actually implode the, the walls. Right, right. It can push, push all the weight in from the inside. So that support that is supporting the roof and everything doesn't really mean anything because the weight from the horizontal weight is coming in, pushing in that way. We're at Serene Lakes. This is the most snow I've seen. We're near Donner Summit. I talked to a local who said surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, a lot of the houses here did pretty well because they're designed for it. Some people were pointing me towards like South Lake Tahoe where maybe some of the buildings weren't built for this and they had more roof collapses down there. Yeah, and that's uh, I think part of the reason of that is the the enforcement of like building codes. You know, they didn't a lot of the times back then. You know, you could build a house and not nobody was going to come inspect it or inspect your work or do anything. So you you know, the, a lot of the contractors and builders back then just relied on experience of building up here over the years. So do they do stricter building code up here, up a little bit higher up here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because not, it's not just the snow load, uh, you, the, the defensible space. Um, the fire season, everything. Yeah, you have to be pre- you're building basically to prevent your, your home from being invaded from weather and, 
in all facets. There's all kinds of different natural disasters that could hit you up here. It sounds like the building maybe in general a little bit better, maybe enforced, maybe a little better code up here compared to maybe some other places in the region where that wasn't enforced and they maybe saw a lot of roof collapses this winter. Right. And then not on not only that, like the the the, the winds that are up on top of the summit too are way more than you're going to be down in the valley. So it's not just the fire. It's not just the snow. It's also the wind. You know, and then you're really seeing more extreme conditions up here in general. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's also a fault line that runs up in the Sierras. So you have earthquakes to deal with too. There's also earthquakes. So someone told me yesterday that there's a code for, uh, I think, snow and a code for earthquake too, like in this region. Yeah. So there, there's uh, as far as like uh, in the rough framing of a home, you've got all these uh, straps and metal ties and everything that has to that reinforces that positive connection that I was talking about with your framing. And there's like the hurricane straps. There's the uh, these lateral straps that connect your uh, your walls from second story to first story. Uh, the roof lines. There's straps for that as well. Simpson ties is they got the they've got the stranglehold on the system for for built for all that hardware in California. Yeah, no, really appreciate you explaining all this. This is definitely an extreme environment, but what I'm learning here is that you can build for it. You know, even despite how extreme it is, you can build properly so that it can withstand all these elements. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the and the more that science is involved in the the building practices, and there's a there's a new age of contractors that are really um, are getting into the proper building practices and being prepared for that, and not just doing it like it's always been done. You know, and it's kind of changing the game. And it's like construction science, really. It is construction science. And as far as on my side of it, and dealing with the customer, it's you know you have to explain that to them in order to get them to get off their wallet, because that's what it comes down to. If they can't afford it, then they're not going to do it. We can study it and we can do it all we want, but if they ain't got the money for it, then we we can't do it. You know. So probably part of that for builders is explaining the long term benefits to the customer, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's part of the building science that you know we have to arm ourselves as contractors to let them know like look this is this is the best way to do this it's not the most cost effective for you but in the long run like you're you're going to be happy in the long run because I'm not going to get a call back to come fix something that's right you know building it a, a better the first time is actually cheaper in the long run than having to come in for a collapse roof or something else going wrong right yeah correct and and if that's that's the that's the caveat of you know of the balance of trying to figure out a budget with your customer and trying to get them the best product and the most up-to-date, you know, products available for, for building. Yeah, Rich, you really know your stuff. I appreciate you educating me and our listeners as well. How can people find you, like, online? Like, what, what group are you working with as far as I, giving you and, and your work group a shout-out? Uh, well, the I, I know there's a lot of modern craftsmen out there, but uh, I'm based out of Auburn, California, and my name of my company is The Modern Craftsman Construction, and I do remodels, uh, custom home builds, uh, kitchens, baths, all that stuff. But, um, I, yeah, it's just me and my partner, and we, we stay busy. We're obviously up here in the snow, so we're staying busy. No, for sure. Well, uh, best of luck through the rest of the winter. Uh, really great to meet you, and thanks for taking time to come on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Hal. Good luck with you, bud. Appreciate you. Thank you for sharing those perspectives, Rich. It's encouraging to hear that contractors are coming together to share knowledge of construction science and learn how they can build better into the future. When I was in a high elevation community, um, very close to where I met Rich, a homeowner told me, you really need to talk to Ken Whittles in Tahoe City. So I did. I reached out and was invited to interview Ken at his office and meet his team. This next interview is with Ken Whittles in Tahoe City. 
Hey, GeoTrekkers, I'm here in Tahoe City with Ken Whittles, a professional engineer. Ken, really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. Well, nice to meet you, Hal. So um, here we are with mountains and mountains of snow around us. I've never seen any snow like this. You've been here for quite a while. I mean, could you explain how long you've been up here living and working and how this winter compares to other ones you've seen? Yes, well, um, I came out from Stowe, Vermont, and we have a lot of light snow out there. So I wanted to head west and see you know some of the deep snow out in the Tahoe area. And I've been out here since 1985 and graduated from the University of Vermont. And decided uh, I wanted to design homes in the mountain area and um, design for you know, maximum snow loads which you know this year are approaching 17 feet of snow on the roofs and over 700 inches of snow this year which is actually 60 feet of snow so that's an extreme amount of snow. It's hard to even you know wrap your mind around that much snow. Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, I've been looking forward to it. Um, I didn't want to leave until I saw a big winter. So, you know, this is the biggest winter we've had. We're actually in second place right now. And the, the biggest winter was in 1952. And that's when we had uh, over 800 inches of snow. So we're approaching that this year. And we're, you know, seeing a lot of issues with some of the designs in the snow country. And we're designing for those forces. Ken, how do you design homes and businesses to handle this much snow? I mean, what are the main things that you think about in that design? Well, there's a lot of factors that we have to uh, determine, and that is elevation. And, you know, different elevations, we have different amounts of snow. And uh, as we get higher near the Sierra Crest, that is where it's, you know, 17 feet of snow that we actually are designing for on the roofs. And uh, we design with a lot of steel, a lot of reinforced concrete, and uh, we also have to design for you know, a seismic event that could occur with that much snow on the roofs. So you need to think about these massive snow loads, but then what if you get a big earthquake at the same time, right? Yeah, exactly. So we design with a lot of hold downs, a lot of straps, a lot of steel, steel moment frames, all to resist all the vertical loads as well as the lateral loads. And you know, as we're designing, you know, sometimes we think, you know, should we just put uh, a metal roof on, get all the snow off the roof? But, you know, for safety reasons, we can't do that. We have to uh, sometimes keep the snow on the roof, which is a good insulator. And also, um, it's better sometimes if there's an entry below to, or a garage below to keep the snow on the roof rather than dumping on that, that area. Ken, you were explaining to me that sometimes you definitely do not want the snow to slide off. I mean, what are some of those cases where you want to definitely keep the snow on the roof? Well, you know, we have to design for life and safety. So if there's an entry below, if there's, you know, a garage below, we sometimes we put uh, snow fences on the roof to keep it on the roof. We don't put metal on the roof so, you know, it would retain it, and we put it a shingled roof. And uh, there are, you know, snow guards, snow fences, and a shingled roof will keep it on, on the roof. I got you. So you're thinking really about the structure, about the environment around it, and then also probably neighbors, right? If you have another house right next to yours, you may not want that snow sliding into your neighbor's yard or your neighbor's house. Yes, we've seen that. So next door to a client of ours, uh, they built a garage and they put a metal roof on it directed right at this person's home. So they're in the middle of the night, um, it slid and it avalanched right into their home um, with you know 15 feet of snow or so and collapsed the whole wall and you know these people were running for their lives and, and caved the whole entire wall in. So there was a slide on from house A and that really impacted house B. You're saying like it, it impacted a whole different structure, a whole different house. Yeah, no, it avalanched off with an extreme amount of force and uh, they were sleeping and it caved the entire wall of their home in. 
so we have to design for that also. So what they did is they um, they put on a, a composition roof for more friction, and then they put on snow guards, snow fences on the roof to mitigate the issue. So for those homes where you say, okay, you have neighbors right next to you, or you have an entryway, we want to try to keep the snow on the roof. How do you design to hold that much weight? Well, we use you know steel, reinforced concrete, and um, you know just large glue lamps, massive glue lamps. Uh, and we designed for that to hold the snow on the roof. So there's certain designs. We've designed a lot of chalets, and uh, we actually went to Switzerland, met with architects, and uh, determined that it's better to keep the snow on the roof. We were in Verbier, Switzerland, and they designed all their roofs to be about a 4 and 12 pitch, as a chalet is, and they put large uh, logs on the roof and rocks and everything to retain the snow on the roof. And uh, it's a requirement that all these roofs face into the prevailing winds so that the ridge is facing the prevailing winds so they don't uh, create drift loads and dump onto their neighbors. So if uh, the ridge of the roof is facing the wind, then it's evenly balanced and we don't have unbalanced loading on the so there'd be more of a concern if you get a prevailing crosswind, right? Could you explain how, if you had a windward and a leeward side, how, how that could affect the drifting and how you might get unbalanced loads? Right. So, you know, with these storms, uh, winds here are prevailing westerlies. And so it blows on the windward side and the, the cornice forms on the leeward side. So a large amount of snow, therefore unbalanced loading. So, you know, everyone in our office here are all uh, backcountry skiers, extreme skiers, and understand how snow works. So, you know, as it, as they go in the backcountry, as they go up to Palisades at Tahoe, you know, we understand that snow is better in certain situations where snow blows over the ridge, deposits in the valleys, and that's where the best snow is. So we have to go study that sometimes when we're out skiing. Where you get that drift over powder kind of coming over the ridge. I guess in a, in a micro way, the same thing could happen on someone's home, right? Exactly. It deposits and it creates unbalanced loading and tends to push a house over to one side and you start to see cracks in the sheetrock. And so it's best to have balanced loading on the roof. So ideally, everything's symmetrical. You have the same amount of weight on, on one side as the other, ideally. Ideally, yes. But, you know, it's not always the case. So sometimes people want to design their homes with dormers and things that catch and cause drift loading and valley loading. Um, onto the roof. So we have to design for all that with, you know, larger beams, larger rafters. So here we are in late March. It's still snowing. It's still cold. The long range forecast for the next one to two weeks is calling for cool, wet weather. So we still may see some more snow for a couple more weeks, but I think eventually we'll get to mid to late April and into May. We're going to see a tremendous melt season. I mean, what will be the timing of a lot of people finding damage in their home? Like uh, some people obviously have already found it, but do you anticipate you'll get a lot of uh, new discoveries through the melt season in the spring? Right. Well, we're getting calls daily um, that rafters have been cracking and you know houses collapsing. We had a health food store recently called us up and their whole entry collapsed um, from the snow. And there's going to be numerous decks that have collapsed. People can't even see their decks at this time. They're just buried in snow. And you know, there's a lot of second homes up here and people travel up and all of a sudden they come and their decks have just collapsed. You know, railings ripped off and you know, just the force of the snow as it creeps, as gravity pulls it down off the roof, it's a tremendous force as it you know, slides off the roof and, and crushes the decks below because we have impact loading as it you know, leaves the roof and, and hits the decks. Are there ways to build and design decks so that if it does 
fail that it's not maybe like, you know, tearing out part of the wall or something like that? Well, we tied the, all our decks back with uh, horizontal hold downs that tie them into the buildings. And um, recently we've been designing a lot of decks with steel, large glue lambs. Um, we don't use small timbers. We use at least a four by member for all the joists so they can handle some of the impact loads and design railings with um, metal rather than wood because it just, you know, sure. if there's impact load. Or we try to put the decks on the gable end of the building rather than the, the shedding side. And as I've driven around, I have seen some people out there shoveling off their decks or even hiring a team of people to shovel off their roofs. I mean, it, uh, what are your thoughts on that as far as that for a practice? Should most people be doing that? Does it really, is it case by case? Well, it's case by case, but this year they've been calling it white gold because they're making so much money shoveling off these roofs. Um, people have been charging like $20,000 just to go shovel a roof down the South Shore. So it's been very you know expensive and, and lucrative for them. And... Uh, you know, it's case by case. Uh, we have, there's a bank in Truckee that we were just dealing with and they didn't want to shovel the roof because they had people driving around the whole perimeter of their bank and they didn't want to shut the bank down to be able to you know, move the snow. So, you know, they're asking us, how much snow can we leave on this roof? When should we shovel? And what's our recommendation on that? So we've been doing a lot of analysis on that this year also. When you design, is there like a amount of weight per square foot that you're designing for? Is that kind of how you quantify that? Yes. Well, some of the maximum snow up the Sierra Crest, we're designing um, for 400, over 400 pounds per square foot. So it's uh, about 25 pounds per cubic foot is uh, the density of the snow in a Sierra cement wet year. So when you get, you know, 10 feet of snow, that's 250 pounds per square foot or, or so is what we're designing for near lake level. And it's probably important to clarify if you're out in the Wasatch of Utah or you're in Colorado, it's a very different, much more powdery snow in general than we find here in the Sierras, right? Yes, it's much lighter and, you know, just because it's colder, it doesn't have the moisture content that we have. And so it's about maybe seven pounds per Per cubic foot. Yeah. Wow. Ken, appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. Are there any last take home messages you'd want to share with someone that's moving to an area with huge snow loads? I mean, what, what should they think about as they're designing or, you know, building a house? Well, a lot of people um, come to purchase homes and they see it in the summertime and they don't know that, you know, they, don't, they just can't visualize how much snow we get up here. So they purchase the home and then they come up and they realize, oh, wow, I have to go shovel my roof. My driveway is really steep. I can't get up my driveway. It's, you know, turning to ice. It's not facing the sun. You know, we try to design with the solar and, uh, you know, try to get a set of building plans and, and have someone look at it and see, you know, how the structure was, how it was designed is, you know, just like my office here, all, all the snow sheds right onto my parking lot. And, you know, I didn't design this place, but... And uh, so we have a sign out there, you know, watch for, watch for um, snow falling off the roof, but it probably should just say, this is a bad design. Don't park here, you know? <laughs> so, well, and like you said, you kind of have to see it in this moment with so much snow and kind of see how each structure is handling it. Right. And, and is snow sliding? If so, where is it sliding? Right. When you actually see it with a, the deep snow, it maybe looks different than people would have imagined. Sometimes you can't even see the homes right now. Actually, they're so buried. So we have to design for uh, safety and egress and, you know, how if the snow does slide off the roof and it piles up, how are these people going to escape if there's a fire out the window, if the, if the window is buried? So some of the homes in Serene Lakes in that area, we actually design a second story entrance so they can get in the home. So that's designed really in case you get these massive amounts of snow. Yes, 
Because um, I'm sure when you drove through there, it's probably 20, 30 foot, you know, walls of snow. And these people can't get into their homes. So we designed a second door on the upper level. So they can, even my home here in, in Taw City, we can walk up to our upper deck now on the snow, the second story. So you're coming in the second story and you're actually using the tremendous amount of snow as like a staircase, basically. It's basically a staircase. And we're concerned about letting our dog out because our power lines are up so high. They're, you know, it might be hitting the power lines. I've, I've seen that around Serene Lakes. The power lines were buried and these power lines were 25 feet above the ground. 25, 30 feet up. And, you know, and even the ski lifts, they're shoveling all those out. There's trenches going up through and, and the chairs are buried and they're in the snow right now. So yeah, it's a serious situation, but uh, if you like snow, it's, it's a fun place to be. Ken, last question. You said you wanted to stay until you got a monster snow year. You got it. Are you going to stay or are you going to be like, Hey, you've seen it, you've done it. You're, you're moving on. I know my wife's ready to move on, but uh, but uh, I don't know. I love the snow. I love. I've been skiing um, and teaching skiing at Palisades Tahoe for uh, over thirty years now. So I enjoy it, and I think I'll be here for a while. Awesome, Ken. Really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. All right, I appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Ken, for sharing these amazing perspectives with us. In this interview, Ken told us that his team of engineers is comprised of workers who understand how snow works, in part because they not only work with designing for heavy snow loads, they also live and play in the snow, as many of them are expert skiers. In an unplanned part of this podcast, I was able to experience what Ken was talking about. Soon after our interview, Ken invited me to join his team to go skiing over an extended lunch break, something they call lunch laps. At first, I declined because I had other interviews set up for that afternoon. But when they told me that they had a free lift ticket to Tahoe Palisades Ski Resort if I changed my mind, I just couldn't resist. I grew up messing around with a plastic snowboard on the snowy hills of Pennsylvania, and getting back on a board for the first time in 18 years was too exciting of an offer to pass up. Two blinks later, there I was, on a gondola, riding up the massive mountains of the Sierra Nevada with Ken and his team. As, member of, as members of Ken's team surveyed the landscape for ski routes, I saw what he meant about them understanding how snow works. From the gondola, they were assessing the mountain and interpreting the landscape to plan their ski descents down these massive mountains. Keep in mind that many of these ski routes were black diamond or double black diamond and were steep, ungroomed drops through rock outcroppings and patches of forest. Features like cornices, which are overhanging masses of hard snow, which build up on the leeward side of mountains, change regularly in this environment, and they were interpreting this landscape. This is one of my favorite moments of the trip out west. It was a little bit overwhelming to take in all this beauty, have a fun ski adventure, and then realize the complexities of snow as a substance that provides so much recreation and enjoyment, but can also inflict widespread destruction. As we rode in the gondola together, Ken told me another story about how the Swiss designed chalets to mitigate avalanche risk and improve functionality and energy efficiency. We recorded this last short conversation when we got down off the mountain. Wow, so Ken, you've done a lot of amazing work here, and you've even worked on a local project that's designed after, I think, a chalet in Switzerland and and, uh, traveled overseas. What did you learn about the building styles in Switzerland to deal with winter weather? Yeah, so we traveled to uh, Verbier, Switzerland, and we met with the architects, and they uh, toured us around all the various chalets in the area, and we learned that um, a lot of the farm animal, animals were put uh, in the lower levels of the structure in case there was an avalanche, and then um, the heat from the animals would help heat um, the chalet, and then on the roof of the chalet, 
they put slate roofing and um, logs with big hooks on them to keep the snow on the roof because snow is a good insulator. And uh, that's the same process that we did here in the chalet that we built in Olympic Valley. And the photos you showed me, the beams and the cross supports are tremendous as well to, to hold all that weight, right? Yes, we um, got those from some trestle bridges that in Canada. So the really old timbers and massive timbers, um, almost 12 inches wide and about 36 inches deep. So just some massive timbers to hold all this load because the slate roofing was extremely heavy. So really the project you did here was it was designed exactly after these Swiss chalets. They wanted it done in the same style. The same style. We actually looked at some plans uh, for a house in Switzerland and we built it five meters bigger than the house in Switzerland. But really uh, designed really after that style. It is an authentic Swiss chalet, yes. A special thanks to Ken, Rich, and Kim for sharing their insights on this podcast. Three major points stood out to me as we wrap up this episode. Number one, I'm always amazed at the self-sacrifice of police, fire, first responders, and other public safety personnel who serve their communities. I could tell that Kim wholeheartedly was passionate about the safety of everyone in her community, and she and her team were doing everything they could to respond as as efficiently as possible to the threat of collapsed roofs. Her insights reinforced the gravity that extreme weather can play on the health and safety of people. Thank you for inspiring us with your perspective, Kim, and for sharing practical steps people can take to protect themselves if they live in heavy snow country. Number two, I really loved what Rich was sharing about the growing interest of contractors to share the latest research about construction science and best building practices. While I was in the Sierra, I was featured as a guest on one of the first episodes of a new podcast on Building Better, hosted by the Contractors Association of Truckee Tahoe. I would encourage you to get involved in a local building or contractors association that hosts workshops, conferences, and podcasts related to Building Better. If nothing like that exists in your area, talk to your colleagues about getting one started where you live. Number three, finally, Ken Whittles helped me see that there is a great value in applying local knowledge of best building practices on a case-by-case basis. I was surprised to learn that sometimes builders want to keep snow load on the roof, and other times they want it to slide off. The first step for Ken and his team involves understanding the setting and the needs of the homeowner then creating a deliberate design that accomplishes their goals. He also taught me that other nuances, like considering building orientation and referencing to prevailing, to prevailing winds, could have a big impact on snow drifting and maintaining a balanced load on the roof. Considering multiple hazards, like seismic impacts, or the need to escape through a second story if a snow-buried house catches on fire, were additional levels of planning that showed me the intentionality required to build a safe home in the Sierras. I had this picture, you know, a lot of us would go to a place like Lake Tahoe in the summertime, drive around, see these beautiful houses, and not even realize that many of the details of their design might be really crucial for surviving winters in that part of the world, and very intentional aspects of the design that we might take for granted or not even notice. So really cool stuff going on there and a lot of lessons learned here in the Sierras that we can apply to all communities everywhere, regardless of what hazards we face. Finally, thanks to our listeners for consistently following our podcast. This is a type of episode we really love to bring to you. Look at the GeoTrek logo and you'll see a hiking boot right there in the logo. That's there to remind us that GeoTrek likes to get out there in the most extreme environments to observe extreme weather and disasters, understand its impacts, 
and learn what we can do to get out ahead of such conditions to mitigate the loss on the build environment. Thanks as well to our production and marketing team for the GeoTruck podcast and their excellent work producing and sharing this content. They are Seneth Baker, Ashley Anderson, Jeremiah Long, Amy Wilkins, Christopher Cook, and Courtney Booker. I'm your host of the GeoTrek podcast, Dr. Hal. Thanks so much for coming along on this snowy adventure, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. <laughs>